2: Totally Football League show, Rovers Rampant, Forest Firing, Derby Defying, Plymouth Take the Long Road and Gimme Five, all in League Two. Today, featuring an actual championship defender, this is the Totally Football League show in association with Paddy Power. Right, we've double and triple checked the draw for today's pod and I can confirm that all the balls came out in the right order. It's me, Matt Davis-Adams, alongside a home draw for Sam Parkin.
3: Uh, Good afternoon, Matthew.
2: Also at home, Michelle Owen.
3: Hey, Matt.
2: Uh, And it's another home tie, plus a pod debut for Derby defender Curtis Davis. Hi, Curtis. Uh, How are you? All right, thanks. Right. Curtis, I'm going to put my cards on the table early doors. I'm a Forest fan. Um, Before you hang up and shut your laptop screen, let me mitigate that by saying that my stepdad, Mike, is a Derby fan. And when I told him that you were on the show, he sent me this text. Curtis is the fan's captain and hero. Please give him my thanks for his efforts for the club. It is seriously appreciated. Um, Does that sugar the pill of having to spend the next 45 minutes or so in the company of a gloating red dog?
1: Um yeah it's not going to be fun to be honest especially after your result the weekend um but I'll I'll just have to put up with you and just forget I ever I've ever spoke to you after the
2: podcast is finished. <laughs> ah, very similar sentence came out of my wife's mouth this morning, but um, we'll move on quickly. Um, we'll debrief the Blackpool game later, but but as it's the hot topic, COVID and Derby, you've got a couple of days off. We we know there were there were cases in the squad before the weekend that, that caused some some shuffling on Saturday to the team, but you've got to be at the training ground for a few days.
1: Yeah, it's just a um, it's just a protocol, you know, when you have a. a few cases rather than just one isolated case i think it's important that um the doctor takes it obviously very seriously and and as has ordered that we unfortunately have to miss training but you know it's the safest thing if the training ground could be deep cleaned um then we go back to knowing it's a, a safe environment in terms in terms of everything that's there and then um yeah we we'll go back in um on thursday and then we'll, we'll obviously get ready to go again but i think it's um you know, with everything that's going on at the moment and new announcements and everything, all the rules are changing all the time. Um, I think it's just a, a, a really important and safe step to make sure we're keeping ourselves safe and our, and our families as well.
2: Did you feel all right about playing on Saturday and being around the club? i thinking of Antonio Conte's comments last week about, about his concerns. You must share some of those.
1: Yeah, of, of course there are. Concerns. Um, with, you know, it's been concerns for the last nearly two years. Um, every time you know we get a, a new variant or there's a, a, a new case, be it in football, then you know you're waiting for that knock-on effect of the team that you played against, or who's going to get it from there, and, and that's always the worry. But with our squad, it was it was really strange that you know it just came from nowhere. One got it, and then you know it ended up being a few went down in terms of staff and players. Um, but, yeah, for myself, I, I lateral flow at home every day to in order to protect my family, protect um, everyone that I'm around. Um, so I think that's the safest thing you can do. You know, you, you can't, unfortunately, control this virus. If not, it would have been easy and everything would have been rosy now. Um, it's just doing all you can to keep yourself safe and, and keep your family safe. And um, I think, you know, in, in the football world and, and in the world in general, I think, you know, maybe things have gotten a little bit lax. So... I think it's important to to make sure we're all doing the right things to to protect ourselves.
3: Curtis, um, I had the virus quite recently and I, I'm feeling a little bit lethargic during my, uh, well, my, my runs have got even slower, basically, around my block over uh, <laughs> the last few weeks. I'm feeling a bit lethargic still. Something I've been thinking about a lot. How are the sports scientists, the physios, managing the players who come back into the club post-COVID or, or if players have had to isolate? Because... It's not just turning the switch on and off, is it? You know, putting them straight back in the team when they can come back to the training ground. Because some players have, I'm sure, been affected hugely more than others.
1: Yeah, it's, that that side of it it all remain to be seen. You know, when everyone actually gets eventually back into the training ground, you're gonna see their fitness level. You know, we've you've got some people that are naturally fitter than others, but sometimes that doesn't necessarily mean they're gonna be able to step into a game because if if you talk about a player that's used to running, I don't know, twelve, thirteen K a game and yeah, they are fit, but if they're underperforming for what their role usually is, they're not giving their same output. So it's kind of, you need to see where they're at once they get on the training field. Um, But I think in our minds, you know, we need to look past the next game and, and then um, hope that, you know, some are ready for the game after that. Um, But yeah, it's, it's, it's a really strange one. You can, you can do all the the runs or the walks around your garden or whatever you want to do. Um, it doesn't replicate playing football and training on the training pitch. Uh, so, so for, for all the fitness you can do, you know, you can, I've, I've got a Watt bike. So, you know, during lockdown I was on the Watt bike all the time when I actually went for a run and, and started twisting and turning in football things, it was, it was like, it was foreign to me, you know? So for, for how good I was on the Watt bike and on Zwift, um, when it actually came to proper football, um. I felt like I'd, I'd never kicked a ball uh, in ages, so which, which it was. And um, it's a totally different fitness. So hopefully over the 10 days, they haven't lost too much and they don't get those those feelings of, of lethargy like you had. Um, but yeah, it's just important that we look after them, first and foremost, their health, and then worry about them getting back into the team.
4: Curtis, I just wondered how closely you think football as a whole has been following testing and things like that. I mean, there was a time where clubs had to test twice weekly. Is that still... What everyone's doing, or like you said, has it become a bit lax now? And do you think we're going to see more of that again? Because we're starting to see, unfortunately, games called off. Hopefully, they're they're isolated, but it does make you think.
1: Yeah, I think it. You know, I think for the EFL clubs, you know, I understand Premier League test obviously weekly for the EFL clubs. It was um, it was difficult to sustain financially with obviously with COVID and everything that went on. A lot of clubs lost money, therefore, it was hard to sustain. Um, but at the same time, I think I think different clubs are doing different things. Um, so there's no kind of blanket rule. It doesn't seem, you know. I I, I believe some clubs test, some clubs don't. Um, at, at Derby, we we have a an app that we fill in every single morning. Um, and if you were to have any symptoms, um, you stay you stay away. You stay away and, and you get yourself a, a test. And then you know once that test is negative, you, you'll be allowed back in the building. But that's that's the way we operate. But you know, if, if different people are taking different strides, it, it's hard, you know, because we talk about games getting called off, things like that. If a game gets called off and the teams try to do everything they can to to be safe, then it's it's very harsh. But when it's teams maybe, and this is controversial, but you know, sometimes the idea is if you don't test, you haven't got it. And the worry sometimes is if you were to test and three or four or five of your players go down, then you're going to have to play without them sometimes. So it, it, it is a, a mindset that, you know, ultimately, like I say myself, I, I test because I want to protect my family and and the football side, I guess, takes a, a back seat, but um, you never know what goes through owners and, and um, club staff, because, you know, if you were to have to call off a game and you miss out on revenues of a, of, of a stadium and stuff like that, it's, it's, it's obviously very difficult.
2: Well, this is not going to go away. We're going to be talking about it for the next few weeks and months. Sheffield United versus QPR set for Monday night postponed after a COVID outbreak in the Rangers camp. Right, after this, we'll talk about some actual football. (laughs) It's the Paddy Power football supporter support line. We're talking to Burnley fan
0: Graham. What's up, Graham? Well, it's Christmas, Paddy. Uh, not a grinch, are you, Graham? Oh, I love all the midweek fixtures. The quick turnaround between games. So why so glum? Well, it's the work Christmas party. The a side drinks, schoolmates dinner. Makes it very hard to watch all the football. The Premier League is non-stop this December, so make the most of it with Paddy Power's Bet Builder offer. Get money back as a free bet if one leg of your Bet Builder lets you down. Paddy Power. Pretty much online Bet Builder bets only min odds one to five per leg min four plus legs max free bet ten pounds per day excludes enhanced match odds. T and supply 18 plus. Be gamble aware. dot
5: You're listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network.
2: Here are the championship headlines. The top two are having a wobble, but Fulham still managed to extend their lead to two points over Bournemouth. Blackburn the team to watch as they notch a fourth straight win. Forest are going up after scoring four. Uh, Ryan Lowe wins his first game. There's a big win for Posh and Derby are up to four points after they beat Blackpool. Uh, we're going to start there with the big game on the south coast where second place, Bournemouth took on form horse Blackburn. It was the visitors who made off with the points after a two nil victory. Uh, Michelle, I feel like Scott Parker's grey puffer slash dinner jacket was a, a visual representation of what would be a bad day for the Cherries.
4: Yeah, I was surprised when I saw it. that maybe shouldn't have been too surprised. Blackburn now unbeaten in six and they haven't lost since that 7-0 defeat to Fulham. And I think I said a few weeks ago on this podcast when we did that game on Sky, I was like, yeah, I can't, can't see Blackburn being in and around the playoffs. And now look at them, you know, it's, it's crazy, And now. Bournemouth, they're still second, but they're five games without a win. I just think they've missed Lloyd Kelly so, so much. And obviously it was a positive that he came on off off the bench at the weekend. But that partnership of him and Cahill is just so key. And that's been evident while he's been away. So he has been a huge miss. I thought the one all against Fulham on that Friday night might boost them. I thought Steve Cook did really well that game, but didn't really feel like any of that had followed through the following weekend. Yeah, for credit to Blackburn. You know, I feel like I'm being a bit negative here, but I've got to get credit, credit to Blackburn and Tony Mowbray how they've turned it around from that seven 0 defeat. It's absolutely astonishing. And now, a gap that seemed some were saying insurmountable from second to third suddenly doesn't look so big, does it?
2: No, it doesn't. Um, Curtis, you played both both teams recently, and and Bournemouth's slump really started with that defeat at Pride Park, didn't it? What 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 have you made of of both Blackburn and Bournemouth over the last month or so? Um, so. Bournemouth are a team that I still believe will go
1: up. Um, they're, they're having a blip because, you know, all season they've been fantastic and they're having this blip at the moment. You know, I think the writing was on the wall with our game, bottom versus top. The team that's just had another nine points taken off of them and it was on live on Sky. Everything like that was, was against them. But the big thing is when you play against the Bournemouth side is they have the healthy arrogance that we're gonna do what we do and we're gonna go and take the game to you no matter what, no matter who you are, no matter what. So with us, the way they played is we went one nil up, they went two, one up, but they they were going for the third goal. They were gonna go for the fourth goal if they got a third goal. And that's the way they play. So eventually for us, it, it meant that they left spaces open for us and we were able to exploit them and we end up winning the game. But you know, when when you play against sides like Blackburn who have been in great form and you have that that style as well Obviously, Blackburn were able to to take full advantage and, and go and win the game down at their place as well. But I think Blackburn, as a side, having played them, obviously, over the last few years, this is the best Blackburn I've seen, definitely, of course. Um, they, in the first half against us particularly, they absolutely dominated us, run all over us. Brereton Diaz, I described him as... Um, the young Salas basically at the moment, because since he's changed his name to Diaz, he's been playing unbelievably. He scored more goals since he's been Diaz than he scored in the last three or four years, I think. So he's been fantastic. But yeah, but Tony has just been getting them going somehow. You know, I, I remember last season, I did a game um, for Sky and, and they lost to Preston. and And I think he was on the verge of walking. And to think that, you know, this season now started, the, the start that they've got off to and, and the way that they're playing. Um, you wouldn't bet against them being in, in and around those those top spots, let alone the playoffs.
2: Lovely to get a Marcello Salas mention on the Totally Football League show. Big fan of that. Um, Sam, Tony Mowbray said he's not getting carried away, which knowing his personality isn't, is not a huge shock. <laughs> um, if, if you're him, are you going to Venkies and saying, hey, put that chicken wing down, put your hand in your pocket, give me some money. If we sign a couple of players, we could go up.
3: Yeah, of course. Um, Hell of an opportunity. I think Michelle touched on it there. I think people that follow the championship and uh, do punditry on it, whatever. I think we've been a bit quick to say that Fulham and Bournemouth are going to run away away with this league. And I was probably guilty of it a few weeks ago. Uh, I'm not saying Blackburn are going to reach the the top two, but West Brom, they put a run together. We've seen um, Fulham and Bournemouth wobbling in the last few weeks. So I think that's the first thing. But I think Blackburn have got a great opportunity in the playoffs because there's a cluster of clubs below the the top three, if you like, who have all got a, a great chance of sneaking in the playoffs this season. So, yeah, the the other side of it is Blackburn have to keep hold of Brereton Diaz um, and they need to keep hold of some of those midfield players that I've spoken about on this, this podcast previously. I think Buckley's become a really important player for them and maybe not as vast as some of the changes at other clubs. I don't know if Curtis would agree with me, but I think... Blackburn were a bit more of a possession side previously, and it seems to be a bit more about the counter-attacking element this year. And I think led by, obviously, Brereton Diaz, who Curtis would have come up one-on-one against. And Kadra, another diminutive little player with pace. Buckley kind of played as a false nine at the weekend. And I think they're quite content playing against sides like Bournemouth, who will have the lion's share of the ball and, and playing on the on the break. And that seems to suit them better than, you know, last season when Tony Mowbray was coming under fire.
2: So Blackburn fourth in the table now and they are four points off second place, Bournemouth, after winning five of their last six games. All right, long-time listeners will know that I'm not prone to hyperbole, but it's just possible that Nottingham Forest are the greatest side in English football right now and will never lose again. Uh, This after Steve Cooper came out on top in the Steve Cooper derby in South Wales as the two-time European champions won 4-1 at Swansea.
6: A couple of minutes left now for Forest... Oh, but what a run this is
3: from Taylor. He's got Cafu in the middle. There's Cafu! 4-1! A
2: weird sort of game, this one, Michelle, because it was nil-nil at half-time. Forrest didn't have a shot on target. Joel Pirro missed an open goal when it was goalless. Could have been very different, but then the world's greatest football team just ran away with it.
4: In your words, yeah. (laughs) One defeat in 15. (laughs) That's right, isn't it, Matt? I mean, you're the man that will know. So, one defeat in 15 for Forrest. I mean... Wow, what a turnaround for Steve Cooper. I, I think when managers come into these games and say they're treating them just the same, you know, they don't mean that. They're only human. To come up against Swansea where didn't know what sort of reception she was going to get. Sometimes it's better the devil you know. And I wonder what Swansea fans are thinking today. Because to have 75% possession and lose 4-1, and you look at it on paper, you're like, what? I mean, obviously you've a bit of context there. They missed an open goal, should have been ahead. But yeah, it, it's incredible, and it, it sort of showed the extremes in style. I don't think Steve Cooper is that extreme, that end, to have 25% possession. I don't think that's a fair reflection on how he manages football, but it is a fair reflection on how Russell Martin does, as far as we know so far, you know. And he's not going to change, and he said that, and he's going to have defeats like this for Swansea. It's going to happen, but pff, you look you at look it on paper, it, it's, it's just crazy, you know. And Forrest actually had nine shots. They scored four of them. Swansea had 12 shots and only four on target. So it's just finding that substance at the end of all this passing football, which sometimes is brilliant, but on days like this, clearly doesn't work. And is Russell Martin going to be prepared to change the way he plays? We've seen it in a couple of games this season to an extent, but maybe he's going to have to give a little bit more now he's in the Championship, more than he has done so far, I think.
2: Sam Forrest scored some lovely goals in this game, didn't they? He's in opener and and that second Spence... Brendan Johnson and, and grabbin combination was particularly pleasing on the eye.
3: Yeah, it reminded me a little bit of the, I think it was the first goal of the season, Lyle Taylor away at, at Coventry, Brendan Johnson down the, the right hand side, and when he gets played in behind the fullback, there's there's no catching him and yeah, he's got that, that quality to deliver as well. So yeah, you know, I thought Michelle summed it up well there. I mean, the the, the one statistic that I noted down was Jamie Patterson had 66 touches for for Swansea, the Forest front three collectively had 52 touches. Which I think I could tell you Matt Grimes had hundred and fifty or something like that. Um but I thought the comparison between the front players was more relevant. It just shows you that yeah, it's it's great to manage the ball, but you've got to you've got to have that cutting edge in the final third. And Swansea clearly didn't have that at the weekend and Forrest did in abundance. The it's an amazing run they're on. I think it's since he took charge, it's the most points in the division if you if you have the three points from Stephen Reed's um solitary win at Huddersfield. They got more points than Fulham in that time. So an incredible run. I think the challenge will come when teams maybe come and be a bit more defensively minded and structured at the at the city ground. Can they play, can they, they break like a deep block, you know, can they play through teams rather than being just a counter-attack inside, which I think Forest are right now and very good at that uh, in itself. But can they win the tight games at home when teams are coming to the city ground trying to snatch a point?
2: Uh, Curtis Sam mentions Brennan Johnson. There you played against him. We saw the good and bad from him in this game. What he can do with the football is brilliant. What he does to try and win free kicks is sometimes questionable. How, how did you find coming up against him? Um, he's a he's a very good
1: player, first and foremost. I think you know you talk about what people do to get three free kicks. Modern day football is if you don't go down and you try and be strong, um, shall I say, you end up not getting the free kick. So. You know, you look at someone like a Jack Grealish that notoriously draws someone in, sucks in the foul and then gets the foul, wins the fouls for his team. As much as I'm a defender and I should be anti it, I think um, it's part of the game now and you have to be ready for it and, you know, as a player, you you have to make sure you're not the naive one that if you know a player wants to go down, you've got to try and stay on your feet and make sure you don't give him that opportunity. But I think first and foremost, he's a he's a very good young player, um, obviously following in his father's footsteps and and wearing uh, that red shirt, I won't say the name. Uh, but but yeah, he's um, he's obviously, he's he stepped up this year after after his loan spell last year away and, and his playoff experience from last year with Lincoln. He's obviously uh, now stepped up to the Forest team and, and he's taken to it like a duck to water. And I think the big thing is that when the management changed, he's been able to thrive a little bit more in, in obviously his attacking play. But the, first and foremost, the new manager really likes him and wants him in his team.
2: Uh, Yeah, if you ever need a way to to differentiate the the red shirt that Forrest wear uh, between the red shirt that that other teams wear, it's got two stars above the the club crest too to denote the, the, the twice that they won the European Cup. Uh, anyway, let's move to Derby beating Blackpool. Curtis, you were at this match, by which I mean you gave a commanding performance at centre-half. It's amazing what you've been doing in recent weeks since the points deduction. I mean, it really speaks to the character of the squad. Tell, tell us about this game and, and how you won it because, as we mentioned, you had to change the team and the formation on Saturday morning. That's, that's massive credit to the players and the, and the coaching staff that you could do that and still win. Yeah, it's... Um...
1: It was bizarre. Um, obviously we we came in on the Thursday and we had one way that we were gonna do it. And then obviously we had a couple of cases and things like that. So Friday we, we ended up coming out with a different way. And then, you know, it was down to who was available on Saturday and who had tested positive or not. And it was just all up in the air at, at a certain point. But um, I think, yeah, we can, we can take a bit of credit from the way that we played in terms of uh, winning the game, sorry. In terms of the situation, but it definitely wasn't a classic forum for two teams that will say they, they want to play football and, and want to play football in a, in a certain way. Um, it was very scrappy. It was very much about second balls and, and getting on the end of um, you know maybe sl- sloppy passes from the other team. And it was just one of those games where we got the 1-0 and we were kind of happy to see it out in the end. Um, we, we weren't very good. And, and I don't think, to be honest, Blackpool probably had a couple of openings where a little bit better quality might've got them in, but they, they were unable to do that. Um, but it's a, it's a, as you said about character, it's a, a character building win that that gives us more points on the board. Obviously we're on four, the, the massive four points that we're on. But it takes us one step closer to to Barnsley, who are our our first targets. So that's what we've got to keep doing. We've got to keep playing as we know we can play, um, getting wins on the board and and start knocking off one team at a time. And, you know, come the end of the season, hopefully it's enough. But ultimately, it won't be for the want of
3: trying. Curtis, I always think back to my time at Luton when we had the points deductions and remembering Mick Harford just going for games very early, sometimes starting with four forwards. Have you noticed, I know you're limited a little bit at the moment because of the COVID situation, injuries, et cetera, but have you noticed Wayne Rooney going for games a little bit earlier or talking about having to set you up a bit more offensively from the off or is it is it too early maybe in the season for that?
1: Yeah, well, the manager said, you know, because if it, when it were the 12 points, we... We're quite happy in terms of we're going to, you know, if we pick up a draw here, a win there, it's not too bad because you start knocking points off as you go along. Um, but once the extra nine came along, the manager said, listen, there's going to be times late on in a game. We're not necessarily going to go from, from minute one, but late on in a game, we, we might have to put on subs to try and win the game because ultimately you're better winning one, losing one than drawing two. Um, <laughs> which it, so even against, um, we played Fulham. And that was obviously after the Bournemouth win and we would, it was 0-0 and he threw on Ravel Morrison for uh, Craig Forsyth, our left back. So we have got that contingency plan to, you know, throw on an attacking player to try and go and win it. But the unfortunate thing for us is we're hamstrung by our squad in general, regardless of the COVID. We, I don't think we've got four senior forwards on the books. So um, there's no... Uh, there's no way of obviously, you know, we've got Sam, Sam Baldock, Colin Kazim Richards as our senior strikers. Unfortunately, Sam's got a knock, but he's on his way back. You know, we've got young Luke Plange, who's obviously scored the weekend, who's looking good. We've got um, Jack Stretton, who's had a knock. So you could throw a few bodies at it, but I don't think we have that way of playing. So I think it's more, you know, we'll we'll take a few risks with maybe, I know, keeping people higher up the pitch. But I don't think we go as gung ho as Mick because I I know what Mick can be like and he likes his attacking football. But I don't think we'll quite do that. But you know, if it gets to the last ten games of the season and we're we're just about there, I think you'll see a different manager that will yeah will chuck everything at it.
4: Curtis, six of your your seven subs are twenty or under, which is is phenomenal. Yeah, I'm afraid to say you and Jackie Alka bringing the average age up still, but it's incredible to see these young players stepping up. I know we've we've talked about it on the sofa at Sky. How are they how are they finding the challenge now because you said it's almost an opportunity they knew they might not have had in in normal circumstances. You know, Luke Plunge getting his goal. What what's the sort of mood been like? Difficult to gauge obviously because you're off this week, but it seems like when I've I've done a few of your games now for Sky. It, it seems despite your situation relatively positive.
1: Yeah, I think the young lads, what I could say is it, it's credit to them because it's not an easy situation. I think at the start of the season, due to the um, embargo we were placed in, it was difficult. we we were in a situation where we weren't able to necessarily put a young lad into the team because we were only given a squad amount of whatever number it was. So if we were to play a young lad from the youth team, they would then count as a first team player. Whereas we were hoping to sign a few more people on free contracts. So that was difficult. So even, you know, uh, Liam Thompson, who's obviously came on and, and done brilliantly in the games that he started. Aaron Cashin, who comes on on the weekend, he was one of the ones that was kind of held back from the first team because of this rule. Um, Luke Plange himself, he had to, because when we signed him, the club was in under this investigation and the embargo, it meant that he had to go to the EFL with his agent and whatever to, to get it uplifted because it was holding back his career. And ultimately... That's what we want for young English players. We want them to get into first teams and start making careers. So fortunately for him, he had that up, uplifted. He came on against Bristol City last week, was fantastic. And obviously this week, his first start goes and scores the winner. So it just shows that these young lads aren't taking it for granted. They're definitely trying to grab it with both hands. But ultimately, you know, that's just the way it is. If we were to to get a load of money, say, from a new owner and stuff like that, we still know we've got a, a good set of young lads that are, that are ready and ready and willing to to be in that first team and, and have earned the shirt rather than just giving it because they're the last one standing.
2: Yeah, lots of quality in the Derby Academy. But as Michelle mentions, uh, still the old-timers in in yourself and Phil, Phil Jagielka back there. <laughs> um, the Athletics Derby writer Elias wondered about playing at three at the back. At the weekend, uh, Wayne Rooney said that, that it's tough on on people like you and Jagielka. Do you feel that that difference is it? Do you expend a bit more energy when there's when there's three at the back than you would otherwise?
1: I I prefer two. I know it sounds silly. The manager will seem like it's protecting you in terms of um, you know, you you're having to run less because there's three of you. But I just find that because we're a team that would want to then push those wing backs on. I just found that we. Particularly the weekend we, we we allowed a lot of space for maybe a number ten to to get in the pocket and me as a central one, if you've got a striker up against you and then you've got a number ten in the pocket, it's very difficult on which one whether to stick or twist with which one. So um, I find the two a lot a lot more comfortable for myself. Um, I I play on the left of the two. Jacks plays on the right, um, and you know we've 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 built this good relationship. Um, but I think you know if if it were to go along the season and and we worked on a on a certain formula of playing with the free it might become a bit easier because obviously the weekend was thrown together and that was the best um, team for the personnel but I think if we moved forward and, and had a free I'm sure it would uh, it' be nice because ultimately being being 36 Jack being 39 I, I managed to draw the he drew the short straw and went on the right I went in the center so I was able to sit there and, and have with my pipe and slippers and be the one to, to have the rest as such um, but yeah it's, it's one of those things I think it's more how you use the free. Because if you if you use the free like Sheffield United, it's definitely not 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 gonna be a rest. But if you use it in a in a deep defensive way that us three can almost do the defending and let everyone else go forward, then it it can be an effective tool.
0: Now use the
2: We'll be done with the championship in a bit, but I want to talk about Preston against Barnsley. Uh, Preston have a new low, but Barnsley hit a new low as their winless run stretched to six after their 2-1 loss at Deepdale. Uh, Michelle, if Ryan Lowe was going to get to hand pick an opponent for his first game in charge, it would probably have been Barnsley at home.
4: Yeah, because when I hear Curtis say that Barnsley are Derby's target, I think that's a realistic target right now, you know? Yeah, I I don't know what's going on at Barnsley, but Ryan Lowe... Obviously, Plymouth Argyle fans not very happy last week that he left, but you can you can sort of get it, can't you? You know, he's, he's near a home. He never set up his home in Plymouth from a personal point of view. Massive opportunity. And, you know, there isn't much loyalty in football. So you get presented with a championship opportunity. Who knows if Argyle are going to go up this season or not? You know, it's a big ask. And he's taken the opportunity. I think he made five changes to the side that were beaten at Blackburn. Uh, he went 3-5-2. Um, he employed Ben Whiteman, playing a deeper role in front of the back three. And from what I've read in the local papers, um, they were quite happy. Said it was an exciting brand of football. One of them, and that's how he likes to play. So, look, you couldn't ask for really a more favourable tie as your first game in charge. But I'm really interested to see to see what he does. He's he's left his old assistant Stephen Schumacher at Plymouth. <sighs> Going to be interesting to see how that plays out because I understand that he did quite a lot on the training pitch, already at Argyle. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how he is sort of without his right-hand man. I'm, I'm intrigued to see how it plays out.
2: Yeah, see how Plymouth get on, and if it's not particularly well, he might be back alongside him before too long, I guess. Uh, Daniel Johnson got the winner in this game. Curtis he's somebody you know well.
1: Yeah, he, he came through at, at Villa as a, as a young kid, and he's he stepped up and. And become a really fantastic player. Um, I thought I thought in the summer um, he might have been one to go um, himself. And Alan Brown, I think, were coming towards the end of their deals, and I think there was a, a, a strong rumours that both of them would be moving on to to get a fee before they went on on free free uh, transfers. But both of them have, have signed, and both of them have obviously scored this weekend as well. So. Um, they're, they're both great players, DJ, just the way he controls the midfield, he's, he's strong, he's he's calm, he, he just keeps the ball ticking over. And I think in the way that Ryan Lowe had his team playing at Plymouth, I think he's the perfect player to be in there. Because, he, like I say, he's, he's a player that wants the ball, Um, he's willing to take the ball with men against him because he's reasonably strong. Um, and he'll keep the ball moving. And then, you know, he still can pop up with a goal, be it from a penalty, from a strike from the edge of the box, whatever. He's, uh, he's an important player for that team. And, and that's why Preston did all they could to, to keep him.
2: Sam, you were at Kenilworth Road on Saturday for, for Luton against Fulham. Abby insists that before we talk about the match, I ask you about the brass band at halftime and, and whether <laughs> they were any good or whether they were affected by the conditions possibly. Not ideal for a tuber, is it?
3: No, uh, they're affected by the, the fella on the uh, PA system doing a draw or something. So they were they were drowned out, and uh, they were just about to come to my colleague for his half-time and I was I was wetting myself because they were about ten <laughs> yards from us. I was going to be horrendous this report, but he got away with it a little bit, thankfully. So I couldn't really hear it, but uh, they were doing Christmas carol, Christmas songs, Christmas carols. Of
2: course, they were uh, to the game. Another draw for Fulham. Uh, should they be concerned about this? Were, were Luton worth more than the points? Should either side have had their penalty appeals given?
3: Oh, uh, it was the right result. Um, I wouldn't be overly concerned if I was a Fulham fan right now. I was surprised, Curtis will know. I know Luton against one of the bigger fishes in any division, normally really aggressive from the off-front foot. Crowd can be such a helping hand there. You know, it's an intimidating place for visiting players when they're up. They were too passive in the first half, Luton, and I felt that it played into Fulham's hands. The two centre-halves in particular kind of controlled the tempo with their passing and then Nathan Jones made a bit of a change at half-time. First half, they didn't really muster a shot, Luton. Second half, it looked like Musqué was up top with um, Adebayo. And that meant there was um, more pressure on the two centre-halves when Fulham were trying to build. And in turn, Luton went a bit longer. And I saw Nathan Jones kind of instructing that from the, the touchline. And it, it just made it such a more competitive game. The atmosphere was prickly. Sonny Bradley and Mitrovic had a little go at each other, which I loved. And then James Bree, this is the best bit. James Bree put a, he was getting grief from someone down the near side, which Curtis probably didn't get, but I got a lot of when I was there. And uh, I kept my eye on this fella. Why? You know, the fullback every now and again was getting the ball and having to play square or having to go back to keep possession. I think he's not done anything wrong here, but this geezer's hammering him. Anyway, he puts in a delicious ball for the equaliser, and James Bree just turns around and just glares at him for about <laughs> ten seconds. It was it was glorious. I was so pleased it happened. But um yeah, yeah, Luton was much better second half. And they went off to a rapturous, you know, round of applause. Nathan Jones was pumping his fists and all that. So good day for them. Fulham a bit subdued, but I haven't got too many concerns about them. That can happen at Luton when they play against one of the bigger teams in the division.
2: What was it, Sean Derry called those supporters last week? Five o'clock, Brian Cluffs. Um, I think that's what that guy <laughs> this was. This geezer too. was
3: a th- 20 past three, Brian Clough. He was giving it to
2: him the whole game. <laughs> uh, it's your first club, of course, uh, Curtis Luton. And they're doing pretty well this season, aren't they? they Nathan Jones and Luton Town seem to, to go together very well.
1: Yeah, obviously it's a, a club close to my heart. They are, they are doing very well. And, and since um, Nathan Jones returned after his, obviously his, his stint at Stoke, he's just just hit the ground running straight away again. He knows the club, most of the players he signed um, from when they were in League Two and they obviously got the promotion from League One. So he had buy-in straight away from all of them, obviously, when he came back and obviously made all his apologies to all the fans and everyone at the club and stuff like that. But he's he's a great coach and and like I say, his energy, I think, is, is what goes for that team. You know, if you ever see him or if you've ever met him, he's a very energetic, very on the edge of his seat kind of guy. Um, and I think that's that's what he puts into his team. And you know, from there, he's always wanted to play football. And what Sam said, he's always wants to play football, but he's not too arrogant to say, right, we can see that they're playing a high line. Let's get Musque and, and Adebayo right up against their two centre-halves and see how they fancy a, a battle. And obviously in the second half, it ended up working out for them that they it worked and they, they ended up getting a point. But I think he's been fantastic um, being back at the club, but it's just great to see the club in in the situation you're in at the moment
3: forgot to say, Cal Naismith is like Barese at the moment. Honestly, he was the best player on the pitch by a mile. Um, and in the last minute, he, well, it wasn't last minute, sorry, last 15 minutes, he ran about 70 yards with the ball, just taking players out of the game. He played in James Bree, actually, who um, hit a bit of a cross shot. But he's incredible right now. And I think that's another... They don't overly play, I wouldn't say, uh, Luton in terms of you know consistently. I think he looks at every game on its merit, mixes it up. But he's playing centre of the three right now, Kyle Naismith, and I think that's to to encourage him to be on the ball and pick passes. He was magnificent. So I know he's he's not a kid anymore. He's very experienced, but um, new position and he's he's playing out of his skin.
2: Right, that's the championship. We'll head to League One next.
5: you're a listener of the totally football league show you can get a third off an athletic subscription right now all you need to do is head to theathletic.com forward slash league show that's theathletic.com forward slash league show
2: League One headlines. The Freddie Ladapo brace helped Rotherham move two points clear at the top after a 3-1 win against Burton. They're 20 games unbeaten now. Wigan and Wickham both drop points at home. Charlton win again. Johnny Jackson still isn't the manager. The best team in the league, Bolton lost to Accrington. And Panto season and Biggins continue to go hand-in-hand as Harrison scored for Gillingham. We're beginning our League One journey at the Stadium of Light. And speaking of journeys, we're joined now by Daniel Storey, who went on a mission this weekend. Um, Daniel, for anybody who missed your explainer on the big show the other week, tell us what you did and why you did it, please.
6: So I went down from the dark East Midlands to sunny Devon uh, to to go on the, the official supporters coach trip from Plymouth to Sunderland and back, which is the longest journey or the longest away trip in English football this season, as long as they don't draw Newcastle away in the FA Cup.
2: How was it? I mean, you must be exhausted. We're talking to you on Monday lunchtime. you probably slept for about 15 <laughs> minutes in the last 48 hours.
6: Yeah, the, the weird thing is, uh, without providing too many spoilers for the piece, I, I kind of went down with this kind of sort of macho thing of like, well, I've done extra. I've come all the way down from the Midlands as well. And the people sat next to me on the bus are these three lads who live in Cornwall. And because of public transport, they had to get the 10 o'clock train from Cornwall, 10pm train from Cornwall to Plymouth, and then sit outside home park for four and a half hours to the coaches left. So, I mean, it is nonsense. It is absolutely nonsense. <laughs> and it, I didn't want the piece to be kind of too patronising of, of kind of like, you know, why are you doing this? Because it's brilliant. But, you know, their shortest away trip this season is 355 miles round trip. And it does make them kind of unique as a football league club, I think.
2: How how were they feeling 13 minutes in when they were two nil down?
6: Yeah, I mean, pretty broken. <laughs> um, but I think it's probably fair to say that, and this doesn't just apply to Plymouth fans, but I think it's probably fair to say that football fans in general that go away from home regularly have got past the point where they let the result of the match define the enjoyment of the day. Um, for those fans, it was about you know it was about the 21 hour round trip. It was about this kind of rite of passage of doing Sunderland away, which. They couldn't do uh, last season because it was behind closed doors and some of them hadn't done in, in 2019. So it was ticking the ground off. It was a rite of passage. And I just wanted to tell the story of, of some of the fans who were there. There were some, I mean, some remarkable stories of, of, you know, guys flying in from the Outer Hebrides for the game and that sort of thing. So it's, I know that happens all over, but it feels like we should give it some love from time to time.
4: They get about the Argyle fans, don't they? Dan, I'm married to one, and um, when I saw your tweet that there were two coaches going up, I wasn't even surprised. There were over seven hundred at MK Dons last Wednesday evening as well. They're all taking their shoes off for Shoei. Were they doing that again in the freezing cold northeast?
6: No, no shirts off. There was quite a few shoes, Christmas out. Sorry,
4: shoes. They take. They, they were taking shoes. their shoes off, but then they got a good result. Shoes off for Shoei for Stephen Schumacher. Apparently, it's a new thing.
6: I like it. it sounds like a sort of Christmas advert campaign. Um, <laughs> No, they were. I suppose the inevitabilities of a nine-hour coach journey is that they were a little bit subdued when they got there. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's as I say, it's it's nonsensical how far. I think twelve thousand eight hundred miles or something they have to travel this season, um, which means their average trip is over five hundred round trip. And it's you know, someone who lives and supports a club in the East Midlands, uh, it makes you very grateful for that.
3: Daniel, I did um, Swindon to Scunthorpe and back with a supporters coach the year I retired. You've me out of the water there. But um, I was pleasantly surprised by the sophistication uh, of the uh, activities on the way up. They had a raffle. They had, I think, a pound in for the uh, correct scoreline, which they totaled up over the course of the season. Was there anything like that alongside the, the drinking and the service stops?
6: Do you know what? the The, the way back had this kind of horrible hangover energy this kind of thick with the with the air conditioning had to be on the coach to kind of move all the air around it just felt like like the, the white noise of a plane trip and it was it was sleepy on the way back but on the way the thing that amazed me is just how and it shouldn't amaze me about football fans but it's just how many ways you can find to have conversations about team selection yeah. and suitability of managers and other clubs in the league and other strikers you're fearful of and opposition and just six seven hours of that without it seemingly getting old is (laughs) is is probably the most remarkable thing
2: Curtis when you when you um do long away trips as a player do you feel a bit a bit more of a sense uh, that you've got to give those who've made that massive journey in in usually less than luxurious conditions you've got to give them a bit more give them something in in terms of appreciation of, of what they've been through to get there to support you
1: yeah, I think um, when you support Derby at the moment, anyway, <laughs> even if it's only going to Forest, I think you deserve big credit for travelling and watching us in the situation that the club's in. But I think, you know, if any fan were, if it's just one fan that travelled all the way from Plymouth to Sunderland, he deserves credit because that's a journey I I personally, I don't think I could do for the love of a club. Um, but yeah, I've had a situation before when I was at Luton Town and we played Hartlepool away and the fans got up there and the game was called off at two o'clock, not 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 on the way up, not not halfway up their journey. The game was literally called off at two o'clock. They got off the bus. They got a pucker pie because the guy outside the the stadium had um, cooked all his pies anyway. So they get I think they're getting pies for a pound. Got back on the bus and went back down to Luton. So um, devastated for them. But it is it's an incredible mindset to have um, to to be able to be that strong and follow your team. But they all deserve the credit, uh, all the credit in the world. Because yeah, like I say, I don't think I could do it.
2: Uh, Daniel, unfortunately, you've missed the forest In, So before we let you go, tell us when we can read the piece, please.
6: Uh, it's going to be out on uh, Tuesday online and then there'll be a kind of abridged version in the paper on the same day in, in the I newspaper. I also just wanted to give a quick shout out to... Um, there's no kind of protagonist in the story because obviously it's a communal experience but a shout out to the one guy who went in a minibus all the way to the game drank too many beers and was refused entry by the stewards (laughs) so had to wait for his mates outside for two hours until everyone came out of the ground and then nine hour coach journey back to Plymouth
2: (laughs) by which point he was sober and full of regret no doubt Uh, thank you so much for joining us today Daniel we'll catch up soon
6: cheers mate thank you very much bye
2: Elsewhere in League One, the W Derby saw the point share between Wickham and Wimbledon. Sam, how about that lob from Adebeo Akinfenwa? Don't think we knew that he had that in his locker.
3: Right up towards Akinfenwa and Tapasoli. Well. Take on the chest of Akinfenwa on the volley. And yes! scores! Adebayo Akinfenwa with a trademark goal against his former club. Yeah, oh, that was amazing. It... It surprises me how many people still try and get into a physical battle with him. I've seen it two or three times this season. It must have been a young lad. I did note that Nester uh, Guinness Walker played centre half. They, they were struggling in that in that department. AFC Woman at the weekend, so maybe it was prime moment for uh, Gareth Ainsworth to get Akinfeev onto the mix. And I think him and um, Horgan made a, a big difference from the bench here. But brilliantly taken goal and um, a really youthful in intensive um Wimbledon uh, team and display we saw but they've got the experience Wickham. I think it was youngest average squad for the oldest uh, in the division um and it kinda played out with that like that. Uh Wimbledon really vibrant counter attacking and Wickham real never say die attitude. Joe Jacobson your mate Matt getting a, a timely equaliser in the last minute.
2: Did you play against Dakin Fenway last
1: season, Curtis? Yeah, um, I've played against him before. Early in my career, I played against him. He um, when he was at I believe he was at Torquay at the time. Um, yeah, I played against him down there. Obviously, he was uh, he was big, but a lot smaller. And then um, you obviously, as you go through your career, you, you you come round and you play against him again. And and like Sam said, you you don't try and wrestle the strongest man in the world. Like, what's the <laughs> point? You know, it's like I I, I pride myself in being reasonably strong, but when you come up against somebody that's Stronger than you, you have to admit it. That's a good sign of of a, of a good centre half that you admit that he's stronger than you and try something different. Because, you know, ultimately, if, if you want to get into WrestleMania, in just roll you and score. But obviously, I don't think was expecting the I'll say it loosely, but um, acrobatics that he he pulled off to to lob the keeper. So um, yeah, I think when you when you come up against someone like him, he's a he's a one in a hundred um, in the league. And, yeah, you just have to find a different way to, to do it. But if it was a young lad, he probably wanted to prove something and he ended up um, going against him.
2: Michelle Wimbledon would be gutted here, were not they, G- given the nature of the end of the game, that they really should have held on for the win.
4: Yeah, horrible. I think it was the sixth minute of stoppage time that they won the penalty and maybe a challenge that didn't need to be made as well. having haven't watched back the highlights. But also for Wickham now, themselves... Wigan and Sunderland all locked on thirty-two uh, on 42 points I beg your pardon 42 points behind Rotherham in 44 and Wigan have a game in hand over Sunderland and Sunderland have a game in hand over Wickham so they've played the most and now they're on 42 points so when they went into that looking at the table they would have fancied it but they got something from it at least I think will be Wickham's point of view
2: Right next we're going to review a League 2 game you'll never guess which one it is
5: This is the Totally Football League Show with Matt Davis adams
2: uh, League Two headlines. The top three remain the same despite Port Vale losing. There are five points separating third to tenth. Mansfield beat Salford in the big club game. And John Yems probably feeling a little bit happier after Quezzi helped Crawley beat
1: Orient. There's this is Crawley Town Football Club. Common denominator being the club.
2: Oldham 5, Forest Green Rovers 5 then. My goodness me. FGR were 4-1 up, but where there's Hallam, there's Hope. And Oldham got it back to 5 Or What was your, your favourite goal of the game here, Michelle?
4: Oh, my God. Uh, well, that was the own goal. Sorry, I shouldn't pick that one up. But, yeah, 10, <laughs> ten to choose from. It's hard to pick out. It's got to be ten. the first
2: one, hasn't it? it I mean, 25-yarder, like DKD.
4: I, th- I think when you do a 5 all. Um, I didn't see Soccer Saturday on Saturday, but um, my friend Abby was doing it and I spoke to her after and she was like, at halftime, well, it was just after halftime and it was 4-1 to Forest Green, she's like, yeah, they won't come back to me now. Because when you do an ISDN on Soccer yeah. Saturday, when the game's done, they won't come back to you because there's obviously more important things going on. And there was the Empty the Park protest, as well. So you're thinking at that point, yeah, no chance. But I, th- I think I'd seen it flash up on my phone because I was out. I'd seen it flash up that it was like 3 1 or whatever. I was like, oh. And then I saw the full time scores later on my phone. I'm like, 5 all. And they're the sort of games as a reporter I've done one in, in eight years, which was Villa 5, Forest 5. And yeah, they could be once in a lifetime games to re- report on. But I think from what I saw and the match reports I read after, Oldham just were like yeah whatever and just sort of went for it when it was 4-1 and, and hence what happened but yeah the the, the local paper did, did a really good write up um, just never would have thought it as well from Forest Green Rovers you know where they are on the table being 4-1 up that's done and dusted isn't it it's just it's a once in a season result it's a once in a season game.
2: We were talking some the other week about how FGR uh, got one hand on the on the trophy already in terms of promotion, if not winning the league. This might refocus minds, I guess, for them.
3: Yeah, I mean the last time they they slipped up, by memory, me and Michelle were at the game at home to Swindon, and they were comprehensively beaten on that day. And um, we spoke in the aftermath, uh, me, Michelle, and Matt Mills. It was about. Was it just a blip? How would they get back going? And it's been seamless. They've been absolutely relentless from, from that day on. So any concerns that I had were just wiped out immediately. Um, he's He's been quite attacking the last few weeks. I don't know if this was a reason for the open nature of this game, but Ebu Adams in the midfield and Aitchison, who's playing as a number 10, means that they've kind of lost lost one of their ball-winning kind of number sixes, if that makes sense, and gone for quite an attacking lineup consistently, which has got great results. But, you know, that's maybe a a kind of reason as to why they were so open. But no, I've got no concerns about about them. I noticed that Jordan Moore-Taylor, who's been magnificent, former teammate of mine, went off in the first half as well. So maybe a few issues against. That said, just flip back to last season, Oldham were arguably one of the best two or three attacking sides in the division. And with a new manager getting an opportunity there to get some new messages into the players and try and reignite what they had last year, uh, I'm, I'm sure that's what he'd have looked at. It seems to have paid off. And I think they've got the capability to to not score five every week, but they were, I think, lower scorers in the division before the weekend or certainly uh, kind of on par with Carlisle. So not surprised that Oldham are slowly starting to turn it around. Just a shame there was no fans there to see it.
2: Yeah, and, and if you're Benish or the, the caretaker boss of Oldham Curtis, I'm guessing you kind of ignore the five that you concede and go, look, you've just scored five goals against the best team in the division. Three points from safety. You've got to therefore believe that you can get enough points to get out of the situation you're in.
1: Yeah, and I think it's it shows that you've been able to inject something into that team to allow them to have the character to come back. Because it's easy, you know, when you when you go up against a really good side and you end up, 2-1 down, 3-1 down, 4-1 down, the mindset usually on the pitch is, all right, no more goals. Let's just see this game out. Let's not be embarrassed. Obviously, they then get a fifth. And then all of a sudden it was, well, let's just throw everything at the wall. And and I think that comes from being, I guess, a, a temporary manager as well. Uh, at the moment, you know, you take over, it's like, well, I've got nothing to lose. So let's just go for it. And then you get one back, you get two back, get three. And then all of a sudden... It looks like a really good tactical performance, but, you know, those kind of things, I think the, fact, the biggest thing for me was the character that they were able to show, um, being in the position they're in and the position that Forest Green are in. And I know Rob Edwards um, well that, you know, he would be raging at what they've allowed to happen to them. But, you know, for, for older it's fantastic and it it's the kind of fight that they'll need for the rest of the season to make sure they, they stay up.
2: Right, soon we're going to be talking coach trips and how to survive them. First though, let's get some odds with Paddy Power, courtesy of producer Abbey.
5: Matt let's go through some outrights then from each of the leagues and we'll start off in the championship and I'm looking at to make the playoffs now you might not be surprised to hear that you can't bet on Fulham to make the playoffs but you can on Bournemouth but we'll start with the West Brom though because they are more likely according to Paddy Power than Bournemouth to make the playoffs West Brom 10 to 11 Bournemouth 11 to 10 Blackburn 6 to 5 Stoke 11 to 8 and if we scroll down we'll find Nottingham Forest at 4 to 1 so uh you never know the uh they may never lose again uh they also probably will but anyway four to one in there for uh, (laughs) nottingham forest to make the playoffs we go to the other end of the division uh, into the relegation. Derby still can't bet on them to be relegated. So it's Barnsley. They are two to nine, which is looking damning uh, from Paddy Power. Pret and Peterborough are the uh, are also odds on to be uh, relegated. They are eight to eleven. Hull the next, most likely at five to one, but it's quite a gap, quite a leap between those ones. Uh, Reading, incidentally, not in this list, so uh, worth keeping an eye on them as that saga continues into League One. Then let's look at making the playoffs then Sunderland are the favorites to make the playoffs they are five to six and I say they're the favorites because if you go all the way down the list here Rotherham are in here at 17 to 10 that just tells you how confident Paddy are that uh, Rotherham will be in those automatic top two spots come the end of the season Uh, we'll go back though to the uh, favorites for the playoffs Wigan are 10 to 11 Wickham are 11 to 10 Plymouth slipping down the rankings. They are the sixth favourites to make the playoffs now. They are six to four. One more league to go into, and that's League Two. And let me tell you, in League Two... Let's look at that relegation because we've been just talking about Oldham. They've scored five, but they are still odds on to be relegated. They're five to six. Favourites are Scunthorpe at four to nine. Uh, Carlisle sit just outside. Three points clear at nine to two. Uh, and as do Stevenage, they are five to one, which are the same odds as Colchester United, five to one. And uh, John Yens won't be happy to see his. Crawley Town are the sixth most likely to be relegated. Uh, they are sitting at nine to one there. That completes your Paddy Power roundup for today.
2: Thanks Abby. you can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording, it's over 18s only, terms and conditions apply and when the fun stops, stop. Right, we spoke to Daniel about his epic voyage over the weekend. Uh, Michelle, Sam, Curtis, you're all experienced football coach trippers, I'm sure. What's the best way to pass the time? What's the worst thing that's happened? That kind of thing. That's what I'm looking for today. Uh, Michelle, what have you got for me?
4: Avoid the toilet. Sorry, it's really obvious, <laughs> isn't it? But when I used to play women's football, we used to. I used to play for Cardiff, and we used to go probably just as far as the North Midlands. Like we were in the southern Southern Prem, and. Yeah, even on women's coaches, I'm afraid, it's just not somewhere you want to go down. Try and hold on to the service station if you can and don't drink too much tea and coffee so you don't have to go in there. Just the basic stuff.
2: Uh, Curtis, who's the best and worst person to be sat by on the Derby bus these days? Um,
1: The best person? uh, I don't know, it depends what you want. If you want a lively coach journey and want to be excited by you know playing cards or something and probably come towards the back if you want to have a sleep then then go next to someone that's boring and uh, <laughs> and give yourself a good kip on the way there but where
4: do you sit Curtis front or back
1: no, I sit at the back, we play cards. We've got, um, obviously, we have a few of the older players, shall we say, the senior guard. We play, um, we play cards at the back of the bus and allow the young lads to make the, um, make the coffees and stuff like that. It's still happens.
4: Do they still do that? Yeah, they make
1: the Yeah, they, to, it, to be fair, it's always them. It's the respect that they show rather than us um, getting them to do it, shall we say. Um, but yeah, I'd say sit at the back of the bus if you want a lively journey. And then probably if you, the, one person you probably wouldn't want to sit next to is uh, Graham Shinney. Because he's quite a live wire, and if you do want to have a bit of a rest and and calm yourself down for the journey and
2: calm yourself down for the game, Shinny's not going to give you that that respite.
4: <laughs>
2: Sam, I've got you pegged as as one of those types who'd be flicking people's ears if they fell asleep and and just generally being a bit of a pest. Is that right?
3: No, was, I'm the I'm, I'm the opposite. To be honest, um, I think I I evolved with, you know during my my career. Early days, I would have been cards. Curtis will remember like the early noughties. And I swear down that some of the players at Swindon used to think that the manager left them out if they beat him at cards, I swear. (laughs) (laughs) Genius. They used to get such the hump. Uh, And I'm sure Curtis remembers Andy King unbelievable character yeah okay. uh, and he, he probably used to take a few quid off the lads and <laughs> then yeah brilliant and then so probably that was me early then I was I'd always have the big stack in the magazines like FHM 442 probably even like heat mag and all that I was just <laughs> everything and then towards the end I'd probably be a bit more sophisticated and and sit down the front probably with a coach and staff and with Paul Tisdale probably have a bit of cake a few teas Ask Steve Perryman about his career. Sit with the intellectuals, you know, David Wheeler and the like. So um, I've probably changed over the years. But I've got, I got so many stories for you. I did, it makes me smile when I think of the shouts, like the, the, same, shout that you, the same shouts you used to hear every week. So when the, um, the driver's in traffic, what have you typed into the sat-nav drive? Traffic. Yeah. Every, every time. <laughs> Someone back when he's when he's reversing into a ground, somebody bangs the back window as if he's yeah. had a smash. Standard. Every trip. <laughs> just yeah, things like that. The just, they, they do yeah. make me smile.
1: The one as you get to the ground, oh gosh, how far is this? And you're waiting for a young lad to go, oh it's there, it's there. Just that, that one always <laughs> yeah. comes up as well. Yeah. So
3: yeah, come on <laughs> come and drive. There's a dog doing a piss against the back wheel here. same shouts every week yeah but glorious oh the other one yeah alan reeves Uh, i think i've said this one before about midnight on the way back from somewhere in the north every week without fail midnight when the, the food's dried up nobody's got any water left you're just desperate to get home does anyone want any of this dairy milk like that everyone just turns around like that he hasn't got hasn't got a morsel nothing (laughs) 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 oh fantastic Uh,
2: Curtis thanks so much for joining us today hopefully that wasn't too painful for you no thanks for having me Um,
1: yeah you you weren't too bad to be honest today you're the only one I was uh, warned about
2: so you've been quite diplomatic so um, I'm quite happy with that (laughs) I'll take that Uh, Michelle many thanks as ever thanks guys Sam I'll speak to you on Thursday Cheers, Matt. Thank you for listening. Thanks to producer Abby for knocking it all together. We'll speak to you later in the week when we'll look ahead to the big action in the EFL at the weekend. From all of us here, though, for now, it's goodbye.
5: You've been listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and keep up to date with everything Totally by heading to at the Totally Show on Twitter and on Insta. Find out the latest subscription offers by going to theathletic.com forward slash league show. The Totally Football League Show is an Athletic Media Company production.
1: The Athletic.